Welcome to the Equestrian Adventuresses podcast, the show for women who love horses, travel and adventure. My name is Ute and together with my partner Heather, I'm happy to welcome you to another exciting episode. One word before we start. If you like the show, please give us a rating or review on your podcast player, as this will help in keeping this podcast up and running. Also tell your friends about it so more like-minded women can find us and start listening. Thank you. And today we are talking about an equestrian discipline. We are talking about the equestrian sport called track. It's a French or um, it's a horse riding discipline uh, originated in France. And uh, it's not very well known. I knew about track. I've heard about it before, but I've never really um, known all the details. So today I have invited Kirsty Adams from Great Britain and she is a wonderful person to talk with us about track because she's been competing in track for quite some time and she's just recently been to the World Championship because she is part of the British national team of track riding. So uh, she can tell us all about uh, track. She can tell us what the sports is all about, what you have to do, who can participate And why it is actually a real fun discipline to ride in, especially for people who love riding outdoors for the horses, who love being on trail rides. And uh, yeah, so super excited. Let's just go to the show. We are explorers. We are trailblazers. We love to do what cannot be done. We love to test our limits, cross borders, and we love the freedom horses bring us. We seek lands without fences. Who are we? We are equestrian adventuresses. We are a community of women who love horses, travel, and adventure. To infinity and beyond! And now your hosts, Uta and Heather. Have you ever wondered what it is like to ride off into the horizon? The Equestrian Adventuresses invite you to join into an epic adventure, the Ride 1000 Miles Challenge. The 1000 Miles Challenge is a fun project for you and your horse to bond and to do something epic. You don't need to be an endurance rider to participate. Any rider and any horse can do this. Ride in your own time with your own schedule and complete the 1000 miles together with your horse, creating unforgettable memories and forming a special connection which only comes with spending hours riding out together. Discover places and routes you have never seen before and get yourself and your horse fit on the way. Remember, it's not the destination but the journey which counts. Join our tribe of incredible horsewomen from all over the world participating in this challenge. A leaderboard will give you the chance of keeping track of your global ranking and our private community of fellow participants will keep you motivated. During the challenge, we'll have Q&A sessions, mini-workshops and training plans. Every participant will get an award upon finishing and every month you have a chance of winning amazing bonus prizes. Join our Ride 1000 Miles Challenge now and start your own personal adventure with your horse. You can find all the details in the show notes. Just click on the link and it will take you directly to the website where you can find all information. And now, let's just head to the show. Hello, and here we are back again. And I'm joined today by Kirsty Adams from the from Great Britain, and we will talk about track riding. And yeah, she'll tell us all about it. I hope about this very little known um, equestrian discipline. So first of all, welcome, Kirsty. Hello, Uta. So nice to you, of you uh, to join me today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first, and maybe 
yeah, just tell us a little bit about how your journey with horses began. Yes, well, I've, I've been riding for most of my life. I've been riding for over 40 years now. Um, I have horses at home. I have children who ride. Uh, I competed for a very long time um, at quite a high level of showing. I sh used to show hunters. And when I had children, I was looking for something that was perhaps a little bit more of a gentle discipline to get involved in. And I found Trek and I thought this looks like quite a good gentle discipline. Uh, and it was to start with, but unfortunately my competitive spirit meant that uh, I, I kept on progressing up the, the ladder, uh, making it more difficult for myself and uh, entering the more difficult and harder, more advanced competitions. And uh, now it's my main discipline. I'm very competitive at it and, uh, and I do enjoy it. Yeah, you just returned from the World Championship, right? Um... That's amazing. Like, where was it? Yes, I've just returned from France. We uh, attended the World Championship at Le Motte Bouvron, which uh, is just south of Orléans in France. Um, the Trek World Championship hasn't been held for several years because of COVID. Uh, they uh, obviously they had to postpone it. So it was a big celebration this time around. Uh, 14 nations took part, mostly European nations, but we had nations from as far afield as China. And um, it was a, a, a very good competition, one of the hardest that I've ever taken part in. But I've come home with some really good memories, uh, a lot of things that I've learned and a lot of new friends. It's one of the things about Trek is that uh, you do make a lot of new friends everywhere you go. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's a relatively small equestrian discipline. Um, let's just maybe talk about what is Trek, because I bet a lot of our listeners have never heard about it. Yes, most people that you speak to about Trek say, well, what is that? Uh, and um, once upon a time in Britain, in, in particular, it was it was known as a fun ride with a handy pony round on the end, which uh, doesn't really sell it very well. But in actual fact, it's it's a it's an extremely um, uh, it's a very testing discipline. It's um, it, you can make it as easy or as hard as you want. But the idea is it's a sport that's designed to be accessible to any rider on any horse uh, there are four levels so you can make it uh, as easy as you want at level one or as difficult as you want at level four but essentially it's a test of the rider's ability to uh, manage themselves and their horse in, in the countryside using a range of skills that uh, you need from map breeding to negotiating obstacles that you might find out on a hack um, that competition lasts for two days uh, the first day is orienteering And uh, that can be anywhere from 10 kilometers up to 40 kilometers. And it can be anything at the, at the 10 kilometer end of the, the spectrum. You're looking at a, a, a nice ride around some nice countryside um, and, and some basic map reading skills. As I say, anybody can get involved in Trek at that level. And then when you get up to level four, you're looking at uh, 40 kilometers of being lost in, in some fairly extreme <laughs> terrain. Uh, I've competed in, uh, in in the Welsh mountains, on Exmoor, on the North Yorkshire Moors, um, and, and I've also competed uh, in France in, in some of the very, very big forests that they have down there. Uh, and the ability to use a compass, the stopwatch, and read your map very, very precisely uh, really comes into its own there. On day yeah. two, you have a, a cross-country course. Uh, which has 16 obstacles and um, they are obstacles that are inspired by obstacles that you might find on a typical ride in the countryside. Uh, so they're to test your 
precision and control over your horse and also your braveness as well. So it can be anything from jumps and ditches to water crossings, opening and closing a gate, uh, riding under low branches or or um, simple things that uh, people don't really think about that are really essential to being able to manage your horse out on a, on a ride, such as uh, the immobility uh, is an obstacle. Just being able to put your horse somewhere and have it stand still um, or uh, or the ability to remount, that's also an obstacle that they can use. Uh, the third phase is control of paces. And this is testing your ability to control your horse's gait and pace um, in a flat ground, or you could be asked to ride over varied terrain, uh, but it's essentially, it's a speed competition uh, is the control of paces. Uh, you have to canter as slowly as you can over a 150 meter corridor, and then you turn back and you walk back as quickly as you can, and that's, it's done on pure timing. All the points are added up at the end, and the winner is the uh, rider with the most points. Hmm. Okay, that sounds um, like a very interesting discipline, and particularly, I think, for people who enjoy being outdoors, it's just something very great. Um, I know very little about track. Um, a friend of mine competed oh, a while ago, and I, I mean, we in Germany, we do orientation rides and stuff like this, but track isn't really a very big sport in Germany. I think it originated in France. I think the name track itself is French. It's like Technique de Randonnée Équestre de Compétition, um, a beautiful French name. Um, how big is it in Britain? In Britain, it's a growing sport. Uh, it's still quite small. Um, we we do hold competitions most summers through the uh, most weekends through the summer, um, and I would say that we have, depending on the part of the country that we're in, you can have anywhere from twenty to a hundred competitors. Um, there, there are some parts of the country that don't get many competitors, such as the Isle of Man, because it's difficult to get your, your horse over onto an island. But uh, the com competitions that are held in the central part of the country are, are very well attended. Uh, and usually uh, entries fill up quite quickly. Uh, they're, they're popular people. People get excited about getting their entries in. Uh, but I would say that we probably have about four to five hundred people who ride at trek at the moment so as you say not a big discipline uh, I, I just came back from France where Britain sent two senior riders and four junior riders send a, a full team however the French team for example had 32 riders and they were selected from a very large pool of competitors it's a huge sport in France um, it gains a lot of funding there's a lot of media interest in it And uh, there are other countries as well where it's it's quite popular, such as Portugal, Spain, Italy. They they all take part in a lot of trek competitions. But in Britain, it's it's still a growing sport. I think it's a, a fabulous sport. So I'm keen to get the word out and attract as many people as we can to give it a go, have a go at trek. Yeah, definitely. I see. This is one of the things I really enjoy doing, talking about all these smaller equestrian disciplines and there's so many because a lot of people think horse riding is just about dressage show jumping and perhaps eventing and horse racing obviously and that's it you know and there's so many sports which pretty much uh which are pretty much inclusive which everyone can do uh with any type of horse because i think this is also the beauty of track right i mean you don't really need a lot of uh like a very specialized horse right can you i guess you can compete with any type of horse or pony 
You can compete with any type of horse or pony. As I say, when I was in France uh, just recently, even at world championship level, you'd be surprised at the range of horses and ponies that you see, even at the very top levels. Um, On the British team, we sent out mostly uh, Irish horses, a Welsh cob, and, and a thoroughbred. Uh, but you see um, from Germany, you'd, be, you'd know the, the halflinger breed, fjord ponies, Icelandic ponies, uh, the, the, uh, the more Mediterranean countries. They have Andalusians. They have Arabs. They have a, a, the, anybody on any horse can take part in Trek. In fact, at the World Championships, there was even a Belgian rider taking part on a mule. And yeah, it was a very good mule. <laughs> it beat me. Um, yeah, we, you can you can take part on any horse, and that is one of the great beauties of trek. Uh, as long as you can go out on your horse in the countryside and go for a hack, you can take part in trek. Right, cool. Do you have any kind of special attire, like any kind of like say? Um, for the horse and the rider, is there anything um, like uh, what other like the requirements basically? Yeah, there's no particular uniform. It's not like if you're doing a dressage competition where you have to wear a jacket and a stock and, and, and a shirt. Yeah, so long as you're uh, smart and presentable, you can you can wear whatever you want really, um, whatever you feel comfortable in, because you're going to be out for a long time on your horse. Uh, the, the only requirement in the UK is that you wear some high vis because uh, we're a small island and you are going to cross roads from time to time. So mm-hmm. they, they like to make sure that you're wearing high vis. But beyond that, smart, clean, tidy, comfortable, practical attire. Cool. Uh, you'll you'll find you'll find riders who go out with uh, with all the matchy matchy with their horse. They've got matching bridle, matching saddle cloth, matching t shirt and hat silk. And uh, then you find other riders who they 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 wear their club uniform or they just wear whatever they feel comfortable in. Cool. Okay, you already told us that there's three parts in the competition of track. So first thing is, of course, orienteering. So is it, I guess it's it's a re- uh, requirement to know how to read maps. Um, do you have like, is it still today that you that you carry on a proper map? Or is it also do you use GPS devices or something? We absolutely don't use any GPS devices. The whole idea of the The sport is to, 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 to demonstrate your map reading skills, your navigation skills in the countryside. So when I set off on a trek, um, I would have my map case with me. The organisers provide the actual map that you will be, be reading. Uh, and I would set off with my stopwatch and my compass. And uh, using the map that I'm provided, and my stopwatch and compass, um, that, that's it. It's basic map reading skills beyond that. When you go into the map room at the start of the competition, You'll be given a set period of time to see the master map. So the the the, the competition organisers will have planned a route. Um, they'll have drawn it onto a master map and you'll be given a blank copy of this map. And you'll be given a fixed period of time to make your own copy. So it pays to be accurate because you are going to go and ride what you've just drawn. And okay. uh, if you draw it incorrectly, you can you can pick up penalties there because obviously you'll end up riding the incorrect route. Okay. Um, so do you have to ride the very correct route the way it was planned out? And there's like little stations where people actually check if everyone has passed or if people kind of taken a detour. Yes. Yes. So there there will be there will be um, things out on route that will 
check that you rode the correct route and that you rode it accurately. So um, we in Britain, we call them tickets. Uh, other, other places might call them controls. We call them tickets in Britain. And they can be uh, made up of either a person who sits there and notes that you rode the correct route. Uh, or if we don't have enough um, judges to position one at every place where they want to check that you read the correct route, they can they can use something else. They can either put a piece of uh, printed card and pin it to a tree and it will have a letter or a number on it. And you write down on your scorecard what letter or number that you saw. Um, or sometimes they put up uh, orienteering hole punches. So you take your scorecard and you punch it using the hole punch that you find at the location. And if you find all of the tickets in the correct order and you record them all correctly, you you go, you get full points for that part of the competition. Um, if you miss one out or you, you, you ride the incorrect route and it's demonstrated that you didn't ride it in the correct order, you accrue penalties for that um, the other part of the competition in the orienteering that they're, they're, they're testing is your ability to ride uh, an accurate speed and again no GPS is for this no we don't have a speedo on our horses we uh, we use the stopwatch for this you'll be given a speed for example um, eight kilometers per hour mm-hmm. and you ride that speed until you come across a checkpoint and a checkpoint will be manned by a judge who will say stop and uh, take your card from you, make a note of the time that you arrived. And then they, five minutes time, they set you off again with a different speed. So you have to do some little mental gymnastics and do speed equals distance over time calculation and, 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 and ride as accurately as you can. And again, if you are not very precise with your speed that you ride at, you'll gain penalties for every minute that you're too slow or too fast into the next checkpoint. Okay, that's interesting. So, um, I mean, I've done some endurance training. I roughly know how to kind of calculate my speed, but I think it's still very difficult um, for somebody who has never done this to really calculate how far you or how fast or kind of to calculate the pace. So you said already that you're using a stopwatch. So how do you roughly calculate going at a speed of, say, eight kilometers an hour? Well, uh, uh, to start with, I'd say that... Uh, People who are coming into the sport don't be put off by uh, having to ride uh, a very, very specific speed. It does seem to be uh, one of the things that people get a little bit uh, worried about is being able to ride uh, an accurate speed correctly. Um, uh, and to start with, most people just want to read the map as accurately as they can and ride the correct, accurate route. And once they've got to the point where they're comfortable with the map, that's where they start to get a little bit more precise with measuring their speed. As you say, a lot of endurance riders, uh, they know roughly how fast their horse goes over particular terrain. Um For trek riders, there's a variety of ways that you can measure it. Everybody's got their own methods. Uh, what I do is I measure the, I measure, I have a little um, a ruler and I measure kilometers on my route. Um, and I look for a feature as I'm passing the next kilometer. I think, okay, at that kilometer, I need to be passing that bridleway junction. And um, if I set my stopwatch going as I leave, the 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 checkpoint if i'm going at eight kilometers per hour that's one kilometer every seven and a half minutes so if i when i pass that bridleway junction on the map i look at my watch and i think oh yes i'm at seven and a half minutes i'm i'm good i'm i'm on time um most people know 
roughly how fast their horse walks, how fast their horse trots. Uh, where it becomes difficult is um, if you perhaps uh, take a, 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 an incorrect turn and you have to find your way back on track again. And then you, you kind of lose track of where you were. So it, 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 having a little bit more fine tuning on your, your, your timekeeping skills becomes a little bit more relevant then. Uh, and, and you'd think that perhaps the top level riders would never get lost, but we do we get lost all the time. The skill is in finding your way back on route and catching the time back up again. Yeah, this is yeah, exactly what my friend told me that she says, like, it's like you're getting lost all the time. And uh, yeah, then you have to find your way back and uh, try to get back on yeah. the correct way and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, we've all everyone who's uh, frequently riding an unknown terrain knows this, how difficult sometimes it is to correctly read a map or to find your way where you want to go. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, I can imagine that's pretty tough. And, uh, there's a lot of, I, th I would say, I think it's probably one of the, um, the beauty of the, of the competition and the most difficult part of it. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. So, so some people are very, very good at reading their map and they never make a mistake, but they're not very good at their timekeeping. So they will come in and they have absolutely no errors of route. So they've scored four points for that, that bit, but they might be, two hours late <laughs> so um they, they they will score a lot of time penalties and then you get other people who are very very good at riding the exact correct speed but in riding the exact correct speed they're missing tickets they're they're they're, they're not marking them down correctly and they get uh, a good they get they don't get many points for being too slow or too fast but they uh they're losing points for navigational accuracy Right. So you, you, different riders have different skills and um, the trick is trying to get good at everything. But most people find that they start being good at one thing and uh, and they, they fine tune that skill. And then once they've got that really buttoned down, then they start to look at uh, whether they can increase their accuracy or they can increase their timekeeping skills. Right. How is it for starting? Does everyone start mm -hmm. at the same time or do you get a certain time to start that everyone kind of gets started like uh, one minute after the next or how does that go? We have staggered starts. So you don't, if everybody started all at the same time, everyone would just follow each other. And yeah. um, that kind of defeats the point. The idea is to try and right. uh, stagger the starts so that you, if everybody's riding at the correct speed, you'd never see another rider. Uh, that doesn't always happen in real life because I say some people ride very fast, some people ride very slow. Um, And, uh, and you can catch up with other riders or you can overtake them or they might overtake you. But no, we have a Uh, and usually we start five or ten minutes apart from each other. And um, it, it, as I say, in a perfect world, we'd all finish five okay. or ten minutes apart right. from each other. And you always start alone or can you ride together as like, like a team or can two or three people kind of join up and start together? And this is another area where Trek is very, very good. If you're, um, if, if, you, if you're not so competitive or if you are competitive, but you enjoy riding with a friend, um, you can ride as a pair. So I tend to ride as an, an individual rider at the moment. Um, I do level four, which is the, the longest and most difficult of the levels. And you can only ride that level as a solo rider. But at levels one, two and three, you can ride as a pair. And this is this is really good for if you want to spend the weekend with your friend mm -hmm. uh, or if your horse is a little bit clingy and you really feel that you'd benefit from having a companion with him. Or if you're not so confident at your map reading skills, but your friend is really good, you can 
pull pull your strengths and and ride together as a pair. Um, and, and then a final way that it's really good is riding together with your child, which I did for several years because um, we don't we don't allow children to go off out on their own in the wild, uh, you know, with a map. Send, send your child out with a compass and a stopwatch and a map they drew themselves and say see you in a few hours yeah. um we don't we, we don't do that we until they're 14 they were they have to ride with a a, a responsible adult over the age of 18 right that um, makes perfect sense <laughs> have you have you ever had any strange encounters or anything really funny or strange or even like scary happening to you while being out on the track I think that it's safe to say that uh, something happens on every single competition that makes it memorable. Um, we, we, we've had situations where the weather has been extreme. I rode as a pair with my daughter once and she was 11 years old and it had been a very, very long, hot summer. They'd been The previous day had been the hottest day on record. And so we turned up with our T-shirts and not a lot of clothing and we set off and this storm broke, this Atlantic storm broke. And we were riding along the top of a hill in in Wales, overlooking the, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, my daughter's hat cover blew off. Her mat was spinning around. She had it. She had it around her neck. We decided that carrying your mat case around your neck wasn't such a good idea after that because we kept having to stop and untangle her. I didn't want her to to strangle herself on her mat case. But uh, yeah, that was that, that was very very memorable. At one point, she said, "Mummy, my knickers are wet." And I said, "Do you want to stop? We can go home. We can call somebody to come and pick us up." And she went, "No." I don't want to stop. I'm just telling you that I'm wet. <laughs> and we carried on. And, and bless her, she was 11 years old. And we, compete, we completed the full 25-kilometer route in horrific weather. But there have been, there've been other times we've, we've been riding along and we've come across. I came across a fairground one time riding along. Came around the corner and there was a, a big wheel and roundabouts and candy floss stalls. And there was a group of horses that were all part of the trek competition. They were all standing there going, there's no way I'm going past that. <laughs> so we waited until there were a little group of us together. And then we all went past together all in a little group. Then we all separated back out again. But no, usually something memorable happens on, on every, every single ride. And the places that we're sent to ride are usually... Um, very beautiful parts of the country and there's there are interesting things to see you know we ride past castles old fortresses through ancient forest um i've ridden past uffington white horse which is in the prehistoric white horse in britain beautiful things to see everywhere you go yeah that sounds pretty amazing <laughs> well let's look at the at the other two parts of the competition i mean the paces uh one is i guess pretty straightforward um but what about the um the obstacle course what is the main idea behind the obstacle obviously i mean you have to do you have to take obstacles which you might encounter outside but how are the points given here is it uh just speed or is it also the way you manage the obstacle what like will you get like will you lose points if your horse like refuses or how does that go yes each obstacle is marked out of 10 points um there will be a a, a set uh, time a maximum time limit on the course uh, usually the time limit allows the course to be uh, 
ridden at a, a sensible space, pace. It's not it's not like riding around badminton where you really have to to to, to go as fast as you can round. Um, the idea is to to carry out each of the ten obstacles correctly you there's each obstacle will have a data sheet so you can see in advance how you are going to ride that obstacle it can be either um one of two types of obstacle each obstacle is put into the category of either a style obstacle or a gate obstacle so the gate obstacles you gain more points for doing them at a faster gate so you'd you'd score more points for doing it in canter than in walk for example and those obstacles can include um such things as uh, bending poles um low branches where there will be an obstacle setup which is um designed to mimic riding under low branches and you have to bend quite quite low down over your horse's wither and if you go at a canter you get more points than if you go to walk um there are also, uh, as I say, uh, style obstacles. So a style obstacle would be such a thing as the jump. You, If you jump the jump and it looks absolutely beautiful and people look at you and think, gosh, I've never seen anyone jump a jump quite as beautifully as that, you'll score your full tens, 10, 10 points. Um, if you if you go at the jump and your your legs are flapping and your, 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 your arms are flapping and, and the horse cat leaps it you'll be deducted points for poor style you also will get deducted points if you refuse the obstacle as well right and what other obstacles are there like what's the most challenging obstacle for you per for instance well everybody has their own um their own demons because uh, my horse in particular <laughs> my horse in particular he uh doesn't like standing still and he he gets on a cross-country course And he thinks, right, show me the jumps. Where are the jumps? Where am I going? And he wants to go as fast as he can. Um, it, 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 it can be quite difficult and quite challenging. A good course designer, as you get, um, as you go up the levels, can make things very difficult indeed without actually each individual ob obstacle being particularly hard. Uh, a good course designer will use the, the terrain that they're given uh, and the obstacles that they're given to make they can make anything a challenge at the at the, at the at level one they're, they're basically they're wanting you to demonstrate that you can jump a jump that you can open a gate that you can remount your horse and they'll give you things like a mounting block from the remounts they'll 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 give you things that make it a little easier for you um at the higher levels they want to make even the most the easiest obstacles difficult so for example at the world championships that i've just been to the first obstacle was low branches so they wanted you to go cantering under these low branches but at the very far end of the low branches was a giant lake and the only way out of the low obstacles was to go into the lake and a lot of horses will get halfway through and go oh water um or they can combine some uh, two obstacles that will make it more difficult um for each obstacle so later on in the world championship course there was a hedge which obviously you'd want to be going at a pace to jump a hedge and then just three strides after it was immobility where they wanted you to stand your horse still for 10 seconds and a lot of cross-country horses they're quite forward thinking and at the top levels you've got your horse fit for 40 kilometers they they want to go they don't want to stand still but sometimes It's important to stand still. So we're, we're asked to demonstrate this. Um, but for me, the most difficult obstacle for me is the one that's called an S-bend. Um, poles are laid on the ground. 
uh, to to mimic uh, a chicane. And it can be very narrow, um, literally one horse width to, to, to go around this chicane. And you have to go through this chicane. The horse has to bend and be very flexible, able to turn on the forehand. Uh, and they have to go through it without standing on the poles. And unfortunately for my, me, my, my horse doesn't see why he shouldn't stand on every pole. It's, we 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 accept that um, on any given course, uh, the S bend might be one that we score poorly at. But to say every rider and every horse has their strengths, so we know that we'll do better on other obstacles and we can make some of our points back there. Right. Now, how is it when a horse totally refuses, say, to stand still or um, if you have really big problems getting it to water or something like this? Um, like if you cannot do a single of the obstacles, will you be eliminated or will it just be zero points? No, no, this is this is one one area again. Well, as I said, trek is it's a great sport for everybody to take part in. They really want to make it so that anybody can have a go at this. And even even all the way to the very top levels, if there is an obstacle that you look at and you think there is no way that I am even going to try that, so long as you ride up to the judge and you cease the the the, the words in our rule book are you cease forward motion, so you come to a stop in front of the judge and say. I am not going to do this obstacle today. Uh, and then you continue. Uh, you'll score zero for it, but you won't be eliminated. All of your other obstacles that you do attempt, they will they will count towards your score. Um, okay. And this is this is great. Because there are 16 obstacles. You might be brilliant at 15 of them. And one of them you might look at and think, my horse just can't physically do that. You know, I know, I know that um, going back to the mule at the World Championships, the mule did everything beautifully, but didn't attempt a single jump. Clearly, the mule, the mule, the mule does not do jumping, but it will is 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 very very highly trained in in all of the other obstacles. Um, there are, there are some horses that love the jumping, but are just no good at the standing still obstacles. My horse falls right. into that category. Well, yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds cool because I always think um, it's it's amazing to do all these things, and it would be so so much of a pity if you say you can't, you know. Uh, try one of the obstacles and you'll be eliminated altogether so that's really cool um do you have a favorite part my favorite part of any trek competition is always the orienteering it's uh the 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 the, the, the letters that the french have given it a, a por um the parkour orientation randonnée i haven't got such a good french accent as you have but uh, it's the orienteering and um Yeah, you uh, at level four, you can be out for seven or eight hours in just you and your horse. Uh, you, you know, you, you you're taking part in a long ride with your horse, you and your map, and you're basically the challenge is is against yourself, really. You know, you can be competitive against the other riders, but um, at the end of the the route, when you come in through the finish, and you and your horse have spent that day together. And you've successfully ridden the entire route. It's it's a huge achievement in itself. No matter no matter whether you're doing a, a short POR or or a long one, it's it's always an achievement to come through the finish. And that's right. it's my it's my favorite part. I guess it's a bit the heart of the competition, I'd say. Well, we're unfortunately running a little bit out of time here with the interview. Um, but I still wanted to ask you one thing. Now, if there's a person or, um, amongst our listeners who really now is really interested in trying a uh, track um how is it can everyone just you know go to the competition or are there clinics or trainers or say 
track camps perhaps how can people kind of um find where you know find out more about about the competition and maybe join one well in britain we've got trek gb which is the governing body and all the information for all the competitions all all competitions are affiliated to trek gb um you don't have to be a member to compete in them um you do have to be a member if you want to qualify to go to the championships and we have championships all the way from grassroots level up to level four um but if you look on the trek gb website and look under events it has got all of the events that you can take part in The, the two-day treks tend to be a summer competition and they tend to run from start of May through to mid-September. So we're, we're in September now, we're just coming to the end of that competition season. But through the winter, there will be clinics put on. There, there are indoor trek competitions, which sounds a little bit of a, an oxymoron. You know, you think this is an orienteering thing. But what they do, the indoor trek competitions through the winter, they're just uh, obstacles and control of paces. They don't do any of the orienteering. But it's a good way of getting to meet other trek riders and uh, for practicing for the obstacles so that when you come out in the spring, you're, 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 you've got that bit ready to go. Um, You'll find on the Trek TV website, you'll find uh, information on each of the clubs. There'll be a club in each area and they hold their own training camps, their own their own um, weekend long training camps, lessons, clinics, that sort of thing. And we have clinics on everything from map reading to uh, the, the, the obstacles training. So you, you, you can get involved at any time of year and um, it, All of the information is, is on this one website because it's it's all it's all it's all run by Trek GB. Cool. Yeah. Well great. Kirsty, I think there was a lot of information. It was really cool talking with you about this amazing sports. I'm I'm really uh thinking to have a look whether there's some any kind of track um competition somewhere in my vicinity around here in Germany. Um so yeah, thanks a lot for joining me here today and talk about this wonderful sport. Thanks for having me, Uta. It's been uh, it's been really nice. I hope that I've inspired some people to give it a go. To say it really is a sport that everybody can get involved in. Yeah, great. Definitely, I think it is. And that's it for today's episode. Heather and me want to thank you very much for tuning in to the Equestrian Adventurers podcast, the show for women who love horses, travel, and adventure. Are you missing a topic or have an interesting story to tell? Contact us through our Facebook group. Or send us an email on podcast-show at equestrianadventuresses.com. For all information on this episode, check out today's show notes. You can find the link in your podcast player window or just go to the Equestrian Adventuresses website under podcast. Here you can find all the information about our virtual workshop, Adventuring with Your Horse, our latest free travel guidebook, The Ultimate Equestrian Adventuresses Bucket List, or our 1000 Miles Challenge. So long, everybody. Happy trails.